On this episode, we're talking to Robin Wynn from Little Sister in Toronto on the complexities of rum and its path to being the next great spirit, cocktails, and management style on how to build a great program. Podcast with Robin Wynn at Little Sister on Portland, Toronto. Brilliant. Amazing. Let's cheers to our drink first. Cheers, brother. It's not very often we get to do this because yeah. you're out and about. Oh, yeah. Thanks for doing this. So I made you a Between the Sheets because I think Between the Sheets, to me, I've been personally trying to bring it back as it's this like beautiful classic that's just been completely forgotten about in favor of like a sidecar or something like that. And um, I think that's uh, that because it's equal parts rum, cognac, and uh, a curacao. I like a, a 40% alcohol curacao. Yeah. Uh, so I use uh, Pierre Ferrand Dry Curacao in this, uh, Hennessy VSOP, and uh, Diplomatico uh, Reserva. Nice. And so I think, uh, and then a half part of lemon juice shaken. I think it's just got so much uh, balance. And of course, when I think about you, I think about rum. That's so right. So I thought it was a perfect, perfect combination. <laughs> the rum guy. Yeah. Well, Let's this keep this really. Close. I mean, this is great because it's like when people think about, oh my God. Keep this really close. A cognac cocktail. What do I do? What's, what, what can I do that's really cool, fast, that I have access to on my back bar? Yeah. Well, sidecar is like, okay, go, let's do it. Easy, done. But when you think of something that's like super crushable, that gets you know, people in the mood for cocktails, and you're like, oh, cognac, it's fine spirit. We need to do something spirit forward. I feel like this cocktail is the gateway to something that could be more consistent, and you, know, you can drive it, and... Uh, it's one of those things where instead of just saying, oh, yeah, have a daiquiri margarita, I'm like, have you had a between the sheets? What's a between the sheets? And this is like very crushable. It's almost very daiquiri-ish for me. Yeah, and I think that the combinations are are interesting because you can go, like, do you go spicy and full on the cognac? Yeah. Or do you go spicy and full on the rum? Do you go spicy and full on both? Like, I, I see the benefits. Like, if I'm going more like lime, daiquiri kind of-esque or margarita-esque, then I'm going after like a really light rum. Yeah. Because I want I want like sort of vanilla and like a little bit of the spice from it. Yeah. So but like the like brightness, like the gr- almost yeah. even the grassy notes still there. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you want like a something more powerful. So you go like that Diplomatico and, and get it going that way. So I think, but but then the, the cognac, do you pick like, you know, a huge molasses forward aged rum, you know, and then like a Solera system, something that's been around forever. And then you pick uh, like a really light floral cognac. It's, yeah. uh, I think those dual base cocktails are, are rare. And I think this one is uh, particularly intriguing. Yeah, I, I look at this and I'm like, you know, like to what you just said, you know, do they complement each other like a handshake? For me, it's like I, I picture the meme of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Carl Weathers and Predator. Son of a bitch. With their muscles flexing, I'm like, that's the cognac and the rum in this cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah like, it's great, right? And then like, it has they have to work together. You can't have one that overpowers the other, otherwise the cocktail kind of leans in a different direction. It should be complementary. I think that when you when you talked about balance, uh, I think if I'm looking at this from a daiquiri perspective, an aged rum and a daiquiri is something that people are like, ooh, do we do that? Is that a thing? I'm like, oh yeah, it's gonna add more complexity to it. So this is kind of in that same vein, but just adds a little bit more fruitiness, 
more richness, a little more roundness to it than you would if you just choose a straight, you know, rum, unaged maybe, or yeah. a three-year that's likely off a column still, not a pot still. And, you know, I think it works together. And this is one of those things where I think my cocktail later is almost very similar to this. So yeah. Great minds to think alike, right? Brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think for this cocktail, man, this is almost like, what you want to do competition like how can you make between the sheets like a better a better version of itself yeah i can do a riff on it well it's interesting i'd be i'd be up for that kind of a competition i've done one with um i've taken the rum out and i've done one with uh scotch before and i played off like the creamy notes in uh glenmorangie uh kinturuban it's that yeah. port finish yeah and um, they've recently changed it, and the flavor profile has changed a little bit in Kintruban. But the the old one from a couple of years ago, um, I think the new one's a little older and uses different port cast. But it's uh, it it had this creamy back end finish, and I thought it was really beautiful, especially with uh, VSOP from Hennessy that's got that like red fruit note. Yeah, and and they worked really really well together. But it was it it made the drink like super potent. And like I, you, you, you definitely got more of the, you didn't get that refreshment anymore. You got a lot more of that, like, wow, this is three ounces of alcohol in this yeah. drink. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's the key thing. I think that, you know, when we talk about when bartenders are learning to bartend, it, their the focus should be on balance. And, and I always say like, cause you travel a lot around the world. I travel a lot around the world, uh, for rum things. So for me, if I'm going to go to a bar that I've never been to before, a good, test of a bartender is just to order something simple like a daiquiri or a sidecar or between the sheets yeah. uh and just to understand if they if they get balance yeah because i know that people can kind of like you can walk into a bar in f southern florida and they probably give you a daiquiri that's coming out of a neon green slush machine or and nothing against florida um you know or you can go to uh somewhere in the caribbean and maybe it's a pre-mix um you know, lime bar mix, or maybe you're going to a bar that has like a fresh juicer that they juice it on the spot and do it, which is, you know, the, the best thing ever. Or maybe even they do like a fluffy version of lime and do a fluffy daiquiri, you know, like there's so many ways to look at it, but ultimately it comes to, down to the balance of sweet, sour and, and alcohol. And to me, if I walk into a bar, I don't care if it's, you know, a dive bar to the world's top 50. It's a, it's always a test to know if I'm going to have a good cocktail off their regular menu if they can balance a daiquiri or one of those simple ones that requires, you know, balance where there's nothing, nowhere to hide. It, it's like, I know that those cocktails are going to be great. So, yeah, I think it was, um, Angus Winchester used to go into bars and order something off the menu, off their menu, but order it from like two or three different bartenders. Yeah. To make sure like they're all like, is the, are the specs the same per bartender? But yeah, that's, I, I would agree. Like going in and getting just something simple, a sour, that daisy riff, like getting, understanding the balance. And, and honestly, I think when, when you and I were coming up, it was bartending. It, it was like, you had to know the cocktails. Yeah. And now there are so many more cocktails. You can't possibly know. I don't care if you remember the exact specs of something, especially something you haven't made in a while. Like, you know, know some of your classics, know things like that. But if you don't know what a between the sheets is, I do not care. Look it up right in front of me. Yeah. What I do care is if when you read those specs, you go, all right. So 
yeah, we've got uh, lemon juice in here. Cool. These are the cognacs I have available. These are the rums I have available. And you're immediately starting to assess like what, which ones are going to pair well together in that yeah. drink. Um, and the curacao, I find the curacao is, and I, this is annoying from the sidecar that I think the sidecar is one of the most mismade cocktails because like triple sec or curacao, it's the most, orange is the most common liqueur flavor on the planet because yeah. it's been around for so long. And there's so many iconic people doing it, Cointreau and, and Grand Marnier and, and the whole entire aisle of Curacao yeah. that they vary quite a, quite a degree. And when a new sales rep comes into a bar and goes, hey, use my one, well, is that what, where's the balance on that one? Is it sweeter? Is it super potently orange? Is it going to throw off the balance of the drink flavor-wise? Is it going to throw it off like sweet-wise? sweet, sweet wise? Or is it not sweet enough so it's the sour is coming through? Without adjusting, I think like reading the specs and, you know, a Manhattan's a Manhattan. But if you get, if your sweet vermouth is crazy different, what's that going to do to it? See, and that's where like, we have like at little sister, but also in, in past experiences, you know, understanding that we work in Ontario in a controlled liquor state where it's like, I am only available to use what I can get my hands on legally from the government or what a private wine importer brings in. So, you know, if you look at what was bog standard for us, um, Cinzano, Martini, and maybe something else. And now we've got probably, you know, 15 to 20 options to choose. We, uh, we are working in a live bar and people are coming in and out. Um, yeah. So yeah. How's it going, Jen? <laughs> it's all good. Uh, I think that understanding that now we look at things and even in past experiences, when we talk about spirit blending, it's like, instead of just saying, this one rum is going to work or this one vermouth is going to work or in a Manhattan, it has to be one and one of specific brands. Mm -hmm. It's like, why not blend your best whiskey base or whatever your base spirit is for your Manhattan riff? Uh, and why not blend, blend your vermouth blend to come up with something that kind of fits what you're looking for in the flavor profile? I've, I've, it's almost taboo. And I know because in our controlled state, um, you know, brands want to see their names on a menu. And, and if they don't see their name, like for instance, you know, Cinzano, you know, they might want to see that the, the Campari rep might want to see that on, on the menu. But if you put a house blend vermouth and they don't see that, it's like, wow, wow, you know, they get all upset. So for me, but like, you know, trying to get bartenders beyond that thinking and for brands to understand we're still buying your product, but to come up with a perfect blend of, of your split base so if it's like i said if it's a whiskey base maybe it's a blend of a dry rye and maybe there's a little bit of bourbon maybe you put a drop of scotch in there a little bit taboo yeah you know just to round it out i think that as we look at like spirit blenders master blenders distillers as people that are creating lovely products um, so can bartenders and i think in this case like i don't think it's crazy to say you know what if you did a split base of your orange liqueur uh, your curacao um, to get more roundness. I, I think that understanding as we move forward that rigidity in a cocktail recipe is there to create a standard, but like for, for to make something better, it doesn't always have to be like a completely new riff. You can just take your base spirits and say, I'm going to make a more rounded vermouth that might have more floral notes, uh, you know, instead of going heavy on a cola note um, or herbaceousness. I, I think these are things where bartenders need to look into and say you know what you know we have a we have a daiquiri on the menu and 
we don't just use one rum. It's not going to be just one rum. It's going to be probably a blend of three rums to create the Goldilocks effect. You know, yeah. and, and the more people look at cocktails like that, even for between the sheets, it's like you said, like if you're going to take the rums and uh, that you want to work with in a cognac, why not just test them all out? Like, okay, so I love, well, let's say you love Hennessy. Okay. So maybe you pick three different. It's a good rum. bet. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, you know, pick three rums and taste them with the Hennessy and see which one works the best. Or if I'm a rum guy and I'm going to take three or four cognacs, I'm going to choose a rum I like, and then I'm going to try it with three different cognacs and see which one sings. And then I know the foundation of that cocktail, the base of what everything's going to be ba- built on is going to tell me whether that cocktail is going to sing. Yeah. Right. And I think bartenders should look at that, you know, and, and start. Yeah. There. Yeah. I've often said that it's like bartenders don't make drinks in a bubble. They're making them for consumers. Yeah. And so if the consumers are liking them, then that needs to be, that needs to be up to brands, to sales team, to understand like what, what's happening there. Like there's a reason yeah. that that's happening. Is it the fact that you couldn't get certain products here because you're in a control state? Is it the fact that, you know, your bar is focused on, you know, little sister, Indonesian food. So you, yeah. you've got a certain flavor profile coming out in the food, the drink should represent that. So is, is that the reason that, you know, there's, there's multiple reasons for decisions going on within a bar. Some are cost effective yeah. uh, and, and some are style yeah. and some are m- multiple things. So it's, uh, everyone needs to look at those different things. Now, when it comes to that business side, have you found a happy balance of like working with brands to get that message across to say, Hey, we're going to do it. We're using you, but it may not reflect that because we don't want, a one paragraph long cocktail description. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to speak about every market, uh, but I can speak to our market um, because I've seen in some other markets where, you know, they don't say the brand, they just say, you know, American whiskey or, yeah. you know, orange liqueur, blah, 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 blah. And for us, you know, the, the challenges I have is when we talk about brand support uh, without talking about, monetary yeah because <laughs> that never happens um never i think i think understanding that like hey we're using a product but we want to showcase it more beautifully than it is um and in a positive light um saying i can get a manhattan with a two to one ratio or whatever a couple drops of of angostura anywhere in the world with your base product but you're almost stifling creativity in bartenders by saying it has to be this way and for a brand you know, without, without saying like, remove the ego from seeing your, your brand name on that menu, but like your sales still reflect, like if you're looking at from a brand perspective, yeah, we want to see menu placement so that we can take our esteemed guests from around the world and showcase a bar or showcase our product. Look at this, our products in this bar, but also like, look at your KPIs and key performance indicators and, uh, (laughs) Uh, the business mind the business, of Robin Wynn. But the, the business side where they're like, I need to see you selling cases of our stuff, right? I'm like, I'm going to sell it, just not conventionally the way you want to see it advertised mm-hmm. or displayed. But I'm going to move through it because we're making a cocktail that's even better. And I, I don't know why that would be a challenge for a brand other than the fact is it's like ego boosting for them to say, well, we need to see brand placement. We need to see a product on a back bar, on a menu. We're going to give you all these things. Maybe we fly you down to a nice luxury, you know, seminar or we're going to take you down to our distillery but like all these promises are based on the fact that we're selling your product Mm -hmm. and if we're selling your product 
be thankful that we're selling a product and maybe more than we would have if it was just a normal cocktail recipe. Yeah. And, and to me, that was the one thing at, you know, our previous place where I was like, man, I want to create a nice funky rum blend, but the, but the LCBO or local liquor control board doesn't really care about Jamaican rum other than Appleton's, you know, it's a pay to play market. Appleton's probably pays to say we're the uh, only Jamaican the, rum the on the shelf. Jamaican rum by far. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and we are the largest consumers of Appleton's in the world because of that fact. But, I think that uh, when we're talking about, you know, what that means for brands is saying, you know, well, let's just focus on what we can do to promote the brand and create our own funky rum blend. And, you know, maybe it's a blend of five different rums that we can get either privately through consignment or through the LCBO and make our own Jamaican rum blend that we think works well. And it creates an identity. And this is the one thing I, I've noticed in bars. It's like, for me, my experience, for guys like you, for guys like Nishan, uh, from uh, Sophia restaurant who was at Blowfish for 14 years on King West with us, you know, you can create a name for yourself as a bartender through longevity at a bar and you are kind of symbiotic with the, with the bar. Either you grow with the bar's reputation because you're creating something more for that bar or the bar becomes more successful and you work within it and you become successful because of it. People that move around a lot, they're not, they might see some short-term success because they're working at a special bar and maybe that looks good on a resume. But if you're working at a bar that is, okay, we're taking it to the next step. We're going to create same cocktails, classics, but we're going to go above and beyond with our own house blend of this, our own house blend of that. We're going to make our own house orange liqueur. We're going to make our own house blackberry liqueur because we have the education and the, 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 the confidence to do so. I think you're just going to make a better experience, right? So all these things come down to one thing, and that's making a better experience for the guest. So that's interesting you say that, that, you know, staying at a place longer helps build your name along, like you grow along with a program. Um, and, and presumably you're there longer, you get more influence on that program. I first heard your name when you were working at Finn McCool's yep. on King West, which at the time was starting to pick up in Toronto as like an emergency. And then now as we sit a block from it, yeah. it's like the nightlife scene in Toronto yep. is all on King West. And, and that location of Finn McCool's that was there is the literal cornerstone or the heart of, of that street. Yeah. So what, what about that? Like there's nothing, you could go to any other Finn McCool's in, in Canada and not find that experience. Well, so what, yeah. What prompted that with you? What, where, where was the switch that flicked that, that got you going in there? Like, what's your career trajectory that led to like that moment? Yeah, I mean, we, my first day, actually, ironically, uh, working with prime restaurants at the time, uh, Finn McCool's is one of the prime pub divisions. Um, and I'd worked for prime restaurants, uh, opening new restaurants for 10 years with them. Well, eight to 10 years on and off. Um, and... I, I saw an ad for a place I was looking to become more central in Toronto rather than the outskirts and the suburbs working. Um, and these guys were, I walked, you know, Irish pub, King West, uh, heart of Toronto, looking for uh, bar management. And uh, at the time I was looking to, to get into the downtown core. And the day I showed up for my interview, uh, they're like, hey, we're Finn McCool's, but we're defranchising. We're going to divorce Finn McCool's. So it became Finn's a Temple Bar. So my first day officially on the job was seeing all these people from prime restaurants that I knew that I've worked for in the corporate setting 
in there, making sure that there was no trace of Finn McCool's and it was now Finn's and Temple Bar. So it was a great moment for that bar to kind of become a local neighborhood King West pub with great food, great atmosphere in the middle of the entertainment district, which at the time was an advertising commercial um, company buildings. And then you had uh, some local bars and restaurants, a couple of nightclubs at the time. Uh, and, you know, we had been, o- I'd, we'd been operating, I've been there for four years under the guise of pub stuff and, and creating locals. We were industry hotspot. I mean, you were next door at uh, Versailles. And um, so we got to know everybody in the neighborhood and we would create regulars. And then I got invited to do a cocktail competition on a whim. And uh, I was the Caesar King. So a bloody Caesar cocktail. I was the king of Canada at that time. So I entered it obviously with the Caesar because that's what my wheelhouse was. And I didn't even place. I didn't win or anything, but I did sell. Well, I did take the most tickets out of anybody, but I was an unknown in the scene. And at that point, um, at that point, uh, it was, you know, it was told to me um, by Kevin Broch. He's like, you know, he's very honest with me. He's like, you're never going to win a cocktail competition with a Caesar. I'm like, ah, fair play, you know. Uh, and that kind of got me down the path of thinking, okay, I want to win this thing next year. And started working on cocktails and in King West there were places like Blowfish with Nishan and Brisaille with you that were creating cocktails. Um, but the rest were night nightclubs and restaurants that were kind of like not really caring. And so I started working on stuff. I started meeting brand reps who were like, come to this competition. Let's enter this one and started doing well. And I realized that we could introduce better cocktails in a pub setting and be successful and actually blindside people coming in like, oh, we're just going to go to this Irish pub. You know, we'll have some beers and some vodka sodas and some chicken tikka masala and some Guinness stew and uh, have a good time. And we know it's easy. And then you present them with this cocktail program. Like, oh, my God, look, these are martinis. These are cocktails. And they're like, whoa, this is actually kind of cool. And it just kind of ballooned from there. And, uh, you know, we got approached by brands that only deal exclusively with restaurants and nightclubs and don't deal with pubs. And they're like, we like what we are doing. We want to be a part of this. And it just kind of furthered the belief that, like, you could create something within something without changing the identity. And for me, it was all about if we're under the radar or blindsiding people and creating great guest experiences because they weren't expecting it. I mean, that's a win every time in the industry. And if you're in a hot spot, let's say in all the nightclubs like your place uh, and all the places are full and people are like, oh, let's just go drink at the Irish pub. But you're creating something in there that like they weren't expecting. They're going to be like, wow, that was great. And they're going to come back. They're going to tell their friends. And then when they're in King West, they might start at your place or they might end at your place. So we just kept growing it and growing it. And it became a thing where we were making cocktails along with a couple other places like yourself making it making cocktails famous in King West and creating cocktail culture in an entertainment district where most people might not think that was the case. Um, and it just kind of grew from there. And I, I think that's one of the instances where you look at it and say, you know, we, we created the name of Finns and it was successful because we created an identity for it by creating these opportunities and, and cocktails and experiences. And I think a bartender who can grow into that and say, Okay, let you know, and I, and I always see bartenders moving around. I'm like, well, why did you move around? And it's like, well, the owners didn't. I never got lived up to the promises. You know, they 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 made all these promises and it didn't come through. And you know, and I'm like, well, did 
was there any compromise? Did you did you want to work within the the parameters of what they needed? Was there dialogue? Was there communication? And you know, it, you know, it's it's like I was willing to work within what I could in the confines of understanding. I have 189 seats, and I'm three deep at the bar on a Saturday. What can I do? Wow, let's let's just make these cocktails super easy and super mm-hmm. crushable, and people enjoyed them and. You know, I think that's kind of where you build your name. It's like, well, I've been successful because I, I perfected what we needed to do. Uh, and I, I'm a firm believer that if you move around so much, the questions arise. I'm like, there's a red flag. Like, why are you moving around so much? If you've been in a place and you've made your name successful at it and the bar is successful because of the symbiotic relationship, that speaks to me more volumes about the character of yourself, your bar ethos and your work ethic. Yeah. I think you have a cocktail. I got a cocktail to make. Uh, okay, so I will, I'll just talk about it because I don't know if I'm going to have my, the, the microphone on me while I'm doing it. So we're going to make a Gale Seal daiquiri. So, so I'll make that. I'll go off. Done. And you can kind of fill in what we're doing. Yeah, I'll do the play-by-play. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know where to put everything when I made my drink. That's okay. You never worked on this bar yet. Maybe we'll get you on the bar. One of my favorite moments is being... Uh, I get... Traveling around as the ambassador for Hennessy, I get to go behind many different bars, and it's really cool to see individual setups. The problem is you're the new guy every time. You're like, where's the lime juice again? We finally made it easy on this one. So we're using two ounces of... We're swagging out on this one. We're using the biliari, which is you know about 100 and 125 American a bottle, so not cheap. Um, and it's a great rum. Jesus. We're going to swag out. You're worth swagging for uh, three quarters lime, so that's and a half for two. And yes, I realize I'm shaking two cocktails in one strainer. I don't have a problem with that. As my aforementioned club club scene background, I was asked this recently, and I said, "Listen, sort of to your point, I'm going to use that your blind tasting method. If you can't taste the difference in a blind tasting, then what's the problem?" And I look at it like if. I can shake it. If I have to shake it slightly longer or, um, you know, do something else, I'm going to do that to make sure the drink is good. But I'd rather get the drink faster than wait 20 minutes for the drink by putting each one in an individual shaker. Agreed. And this is like, honestly, and again, we're using a 62% instead of a 43%. So it might have a bit more heat to it. Um, so we've used two ounces of rum, three quarters lime, half falernum, quarter simple, and four dashes of Angostura bitters uh, per cocktail. So I love Angostura, so I'm going to go have you. Not as much as Giuseppe Gonzalez loves it. You know what? Him and I love it the same. He's a great guy. I've met him a couple times. And he is like, if I could drink Angostura straight, I would, because it's that great. Jesus. All right. Challenge. Challenge throwdown. think you're going to win. <laughs> You know, when you can buy Angostura, you can actually buy it in 55-gallon drums. And I, I want to get to that level of bartending where I can say I'm successful enough that I've bought gallon drums of Angostura. I think costs like $5,000, and but that's the price I'd be willing to pay. Solid shake. Heavy shake or two cocktails. Full draft ice. See how cold it is? Yeah, ice form in there. I use the term, if it's too cold to hold, 
your drink is is chill enough. Yes, I agree 100%. So we're going to strain this one out. We'll do the double strain trick because nobody likes floating icebergs in a cocktail. I don't. Again, look at the color, almost like it between the sheets. We're using eight ounce coupes, so. Last little bits. Can't really see it, but nobody likes these ice in a cocktail, never. No. Well, something new, and I find that incredibly strange. Like the yeah. people that want ice chips floating in a martini glass. I'm like, why? You know, if I wanted water, I would ask for water. So there's your Gale Seal daiquiri. Brilliant. And again, this is like uh, a standard cocktail around the world now. So cheers. cheers. Your first Gale Seal. That's amazing. Yeah. It was nice that we tasted the rum before him because you really do get it, that come through. Yeah. And again, it's like, it's an intense rum, ex-bourbon cask. It's going to be intensity. Foursquare has a few releases that are ex-bourbon. They do a yearly vintage. That's amazing. So on that note, advice for a young bartender. I think that if you're going to get into the, into the industry... And you're getting into it because you want to become the rock star bartender. You might as well just not. Just don't. And what I mean by that, it's nothing to say that you can't be a rock star bartender because you can be. I've seen people do all of it. But, but do it for the right reasons. Do it because you want to create a great hospitality experience. Do it because you care about the people sitting across the bar from you. Do it because you care about your paycheck and longevity in the industry. Do it because you want your bar to be successful. Right? The grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's, it's greener where you water it. And if you're at a bar where you water your grass, it's going to be successful. You just got to take care of it. I think that if you're going to move forward and you want to become a, a bartender who has cocktails on the menu, you know, I, you know, everybody can make the standard cocktails. But what makes your cocktail great? Um, there was a great thing that I experienced at Tiki by the Sea, which is run in the States uh, and in Europe, uh, like a five-day rum tropical immersion thing and there was all these kind of people talking about rum and other spirits but this guy came in and talked about the business of tiki but it wasn't actually the business of tiki it was like why do people come to your bar and why do people sit at your bar and why do people want to order drinks off you is it because your personality you're hospitable and they like the fact that they can come in you know their name you kind of know what they want already and you understand what's going on in their life because of small talk and they know that when they go there, they're going to have a great experience. It's standard. It's consistent. And, you know, you actually care about what they're doing. An emotional experience is great. Frankie Slark from Bar Chef said, you know, what's the greatest thing about your bar? And he's like, I have the privilege of changing somebody's life through the medium of a glass. If they're having a shit day, I can give them a cocktail and experience across the bar, which might make them have a better end to the day than the, what they started. And that's what we'd all strive for is like a great experience at the bar or in a restaurant if you're a server or if you're a support staff. Every civil, single level should be like, I wanna make this guest experience better. And I think as a bartender, if you come in the industry and you're just like, I just wanna be the hottest shit on the market. I wanna dominate the bar industry, win every competition. I wanna work at all the best places and make all the money. At the end of it, 
like you're not going to achieve all those things. It's not realistic. You might achieve a certain percentage of that, but that's going to take a lot of work, a lot of legwork, a lot of hard work. And I think that if you come into the industry and you want to be guest focused, it's going to be your biggest advantage moving forward. That's, that's amazing. Uh, Robin, thanks for adding your knowledge to the, the collective, because I think, uh, you're somebody I respect in this industry. You're somebody that's done it a long time. Well, thank you. you. You've succeeded in uh, in a lot of ways within this industry, whether it be from bartending ethos to running establishments, running multiple establishments. So, um, thank you for your time and, and thanks for the knowledge, man. Like that's uh, it's been really fun. Cheers. We'll do this again. Oh, obviously, as friends, it's great to see yeah. us both succeed in the industry. Love you, brother. I love you. Cheers. Talk soon. Cheers. Bye.